Good morning, Kevin College. Um, it is uh, it's an honor and a privilege uh, to introduce the semester's final installment of our chapel series, um, Reformed for What? It's where we're celebrating the Reformation uh, kind of together as a, as a faculty. Uh, this morning, we'll be hearing from Professor Camille Hallstrom, uh, Professor of Theater and Film Studies. One of the uh, unique and great pleasures of being a part of an academic community is the joy of hearing from, learning from, and having access to uh, a diverse array of intelligent people. Um, intelligent in many different and profoundly interesting ways. Uh, we have people here who think algorithmically, like John Hunt and Jeff Humphreys. Uh, people who think spatially with a keen eye for color, like uh, Jeffrey Morton, people who think structurally like Matt Voss and Lance Wesher, people who think uh, about thinking like Carol Yu, uh, and people who think linguistically, mathematically, theologically, and even historically. Uh, we're a diverse lot, uh, which makes it a pretty interesting and endlessly, in my view, fun place to be. Our intellectual life, though, would be woefully incomplete without our artists. Okay, we need to never forget that. Uh, our musicians, our studio artists, filmmakers, and of course, our thespians. Uh, Professor Holstrom brings many gifts to our community. If you've ever had an opportunity to see one of her productions she's directed, you will not have forgotten it. Uh, they tend to punch you in the gut uh, and leave you thinking about them for days. Um, Besides her gifts as a director, however, Professor Hallstrom always urges our community to ask aesthetic questions and to, yes, think aesthetically, considering not just what is true and good, but also what is beautiful. Without her and other artists, our community would be diminished uh, immeasurably. This is why I'm so happy to welcome her to speak here this morning. Uh, please join me in welcoming her. Hello, thank you for that introduction. Uh, I am a theater professor. I brought a prop. I'll tell you what that is in a moment. Um, I have to get my breath because I race to get ready to speak today. You might, if you've been watching the, looking at the calendar, you might have known that I was supposed to speak on November 20th and then we swapped that out to do the Alumni of the Year thing to honor Bob Harbert, among other people. Um, as it turned out, that was providential for me. That's already a reformed word, see? We're, this, uh, the series is reformed for what? That's already a reformed word, but it's, it's a comforting word. Providence is a comforting word. The sovereignty of God is a comforting concept. So it was providential for me not to be here on November 20th because at 11.05 a.m. I was getting on a plane somewhere. And I'll I'll leave you in suspense and tell you about that in a bit. Now, I had originally planned on talking about theater things, and I'll start there, but I'm going to stop partway through to get to the new thing. Um, so this might be a little catch-as-catch-can 
but we'll see. Um, I, I was not raised in a reformed home. I was raised in a pagan home. I had an alcoholic father, a lot of pornography in the house. It really screwed me up horribly. I found it when I was age eight. Um, both my parents had grown up in a, in a pretty ignorant, theologically uh, fundamentalistic denomination, and that's why both of them left. Um, my mother eventually came back to Christ. I, d I don't believe that my father ever did, unless God got him when he was in his coma before he died, and God's up to that. Sovereignty. Um, but uh, I still had my grandparents, especially my one grandmother, trying to evangelize us kids, which was a good thing, because I wasn't going to get that at home. But Grandma's version of the good news didn't sound anything like good news to me. I just knew I needed to get saved or I was going to hell, and I, I could lose my salvation, so um, I was losing my salvation a lot, and that's kind of anxiety-provoking when you're a little kid. Um, and one good thing about going home to my mom and dad after I spent a weekend with them is they'd say, what did Grandma say to you this time? And they'd try to debunk it. And in some ways, that was helpful and healthy. Um, and then because there was, uh, I'm Swedish, we live in the Swedish neighborhood, there was a Swedish Lutheran church within walking distance. Our mom sent us there for uh, Sunday school and eventually catechism. And they, they were fairly liberal by the time I got to school there. So I had all these different f philosophical inputs. I had this liberal Christianity on one side. I had this ignorant, not especially good news sounding fundamentalist Christianity and paganism at home. And I knew all of them were wrong at some point. And yet all of them were right at some point. And so I, I was from an early age comparing and contrasting ideas. So guess what? I became a philosophy major. I was a geek. But I, I needed to be able to think because it was a lifeline for me. And um, then my sister went off to college and she got involved with, not RUF, but another reform campus seminary. And she came home and told me about Calvinism. And said, sign me up. I don't have to lose my salvation all the time. And I can have an IQ and be a Christian. Uh, yay. <laughs> sign me up. Um, and of course, Providence is the one who arranged that for me, because I am now a theater professor, and I was, I was also a theater major, and uh, as, a, as a student, I didn't have good Christian inputs on how to do theater. And there still aren't many, and there are historical reasons for that. A lot of uh, church history has been vociferously anti-theater. Um, so I have had pretty much to work out myself what I'm gonna teach people here at Covenant when we do integration of faith and discipline. Um, but the Reformed tradition helps me to do that. Uh, it gives us this really helpful creation, fall, redemption template. Um, much of church history, as I said, has been anti-theatrical. Um, let me read you just a couple quotes. This is Augustine. I'm pro-Augustine. He, he's in the Reformed tradition. Yay, Augustine. But he's not right about some things. And by the way, the Reformed tradition allows me to say that too. We honor our church fathers or other people who have influenced our traditions in right ways, but it doesn't rattle us to our core when we find out they can be wrong or even sinful. If I have enough time to get to Luther, we'll talk about some of his sins. But I'm very pro-Luther. I, I grew up in a Lutheran church. Um, but here's Augustine. Some of you don't know the facts. Some of you pretend not to know. Well, here are the facts. Those disgusting spectacles, 
Spectacles of frivolous immorality, the, the Roman theater of the day, were instituted at Rome not by the viciousness of men, but by those gods of yours. The gods ordered theatrical shows to be put on in, honor of, in order to lay a plague, uh, 364, 363 B.C., we think. The truth is that the powers of evil foresaw in their cleverness that the plague would soon come to its natural end, and they craftily used that opportunity to bring upon you a far more serious pestilence, which gives them even greater satisfaction. The theater attacks not the body, but the character. It blinds the minds of the sufferers with great darkness and greatly deforms and degraded them. And church fathers or theologians after him pretty much just footnoted these early church fathers about thinking through, wait, do we have to measure all theater by the Roman arena? <laughs> or maybe, maybe there's a good creational structure there that could be redeemed. Um, Tertullian, really anti-biblical in his perspective, if you stop to think about it. Demons with the purpose of attracting man away from his Lord and binding him to their own service achieve their purpose by granting him the artistic talents required by the shows. I don't think so, Tertullian. I don't think demons invent anything or create ex nihilo anything. Only God creates. Demons are parasites who then twist. Now, if you'd stopped to think about it, Tertullian, you would have noticed your error. Now, I've got a joke to tell on Tertullian. You might know that uh, part of why we, we honor him is he helped come up with some useful theological vocabulary to help us talk about the Trinity which is not an easy concept to fit in your brain. He's the one who came up with the formula, um, one being three persons, okay? Persons is the Latin name for theater mask. Person, four sounds, as the masks let you speak like that. Um, so, ha, you needed to draw on us to help us talk about a difficult concept. Ha, to you, but thank you, it's helpful. Now, I could go through more things, but creation, fall, redemption helped me to know these guys, though I honor them for much, and unlike my theater history courses in a secular university, I can't, just, I can't just say, what a bunch of boneheads, and ignore them, because they were intelligent people. They were godly people. They're people who I am grateful for the DNA they've put into our tradition. They're just people, so they can be wrong. Creation, fall, redemption helps me think, wait a minute, there are good creational structures. 1 Timothy 1.4 says, I'm sorry, 1 Timothy 4.4 says, everything God created is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, because it's consecrated by the word of God and prayer. Thank you, Paul. Thank you. Um, but I do have to acknowledge the theater is profoundly broken and it really has bad influence on people. Movies today are what you watch more of, but I, I trust you don't have to think too hard to imagine, has this influenced our culture or my own personal morality or activities for ill in any way? There is a fall that's come and shot through every part of the creation. It's not just, these things are good and these things are bad. That's too simple, but we often make our thinking too simple. Thank you, Creation Fall Redemption Template, for helping me to know it goes right through every fiber. Oh, it can still be good and just this wicked. Now what do we do to try to get the corruption out? Read 
redemption. Hallelujah. Jesus thought it was so important, he went and died about it. Oh, he didn't die for the theater. Oh, well, I don't know. Colossians 1, 19 to 20. God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in Christ and through him to reconcile to himself all things. All things. Whether things on earth or things in heaven. Everything. Satan's been acting like it's his for several thousand years, and Jesus said, no, it's mine, and I want it back. Finally, I have an intellectual template that allowed me to do theater and not feel guilty or not have to just chuck my Christian background. It allows me to draw from my church fathers and other theologians where it's helpful, and it allows me to challenge them as well. Um, and by the way, early reformers were sort of pro-theater too, okay? Um, uh, Luther and his adjutant Melanchthon actively championed and made use of classical theater as well as Protestant biblical drama. In Geneva, I know this is going to make some people just their hair stand on end, they can't believe it. In Geneva, performances took place with Calvin's approval. And uh, his adjutant, Theodor Beza, wrote, among other plays, Abraham Sacrifiant, an important early work of French Renaissance tragedy. And I could list other reformers that made use of theater, including John Fox, the martyrologist, who, I'm not making this up, wrote comedies. You don't usually think of comedy and martyrologist in the same phrase. Um, uh, Thomas Norton was a co-author of a seminal English tragedy, but he also was the first person to translate into English Calvin's Institutes. And here Calvin says, let's not be ashamed to take pious delight in the works of God, open and manifest in this most beautiful theater. That's what he calls creation. Go, Calvin. Go. Creation is a beautiful theater, and God himself has shown by the order of creation that he created all things for man's sake. Wow. Wow. Um, now, the Puritans later said we can't have theater. So, that's a lot, so a lot of the Reformed tradition since that time has been anti-theater, too. So I've had to dig through up to the light to figure out how I can still do this in a Reformed context. As late as the 20th century, um, there are Reformed people saying you can't do theater. Um, this is from the Banner of Truth, a quote. Um, C.S., he's quoting C.S. Spurgeon, this writer. I see it publicly stated by men who call themselves Christians that it would be advisable for Christians to frequent the theater that the character of the drama might be raised. Such has been the moral character of the theater for many a year that it has become too bad for mending, and even if it were mended, it would corrupt again. Oh my gosh, Spurgeon, are you even thinking? Spurgeon! All kinds of things corrupt over and over and over and over again. That's why part of the Reformation heritage we have is the concept of semper reformanda. We always have to keep reforming. That is not an excuse to let stuff just go to hell in a handbasket. Spurgeon! You aren't thinking. You've got a bias getting in the way of your thought. We can hardly... This is a different quote. This is from um, William Law, a respected... Uh, English churchman, uh, he wrote, uh, let's see, he wrote two different things, I'm getting the titles 
mixed up. Um, he wrote A Serious Call to a Devout and Holy Life, which is part of our Reformed Heritage. He also wrote a book called The Absolute Unlawfulness of the Stage Entertainments. We can hardly avoid the conclusion that theater, even at its moral best, is contrary to the whole tenor of the Christian faith. If you live in the use of this diversion, you have no grounds to hope that you have the spirit and heart of a Christian. Good grief. And it's no uncharitable assertion to assert, assert that a player, an actor, cannot be a living member of Christ or in a true state of grace until he renounces his profession with a sincere and deep repentance. You need to study some creation, fall redemption, William Law. Are there wicked actors? Have there historically been? Yeah. Can it not be redeemed by the almighty Christ's blood? No. Um, I'm going to have to move on here. Um, Seferreformanda allows me to critique myself. The, the reformed understanding of total depravity allows me to critique myself so I can't be too cocky when I encounter William Law or Augustine or Tertullian. I have to be humble. I have to engage them with the words of scripture. I have to pray about what I'm doing. But the reformed tradition heritage gives me that, that option. That's a real blessing. I couldn't be here teaching what I'm teaching without that reformed heritage. Um, it allows me to embrace Luther, warts and all, and other people who are sinful. 500th anniversary of the Reformation. This is my little plastic Luther doll. Where did his pen go? I lost his quill. He has a quill. <laughs> Christiana has it. Okay. Okay. All right. He's got his Bible that he translated into German. His hat comes off. Little girl at church thinks it's Harry Potter. That's okay. <laughs> right. October 31st, 2017, with the 500th anniversary of the Protestant Reformation. Booyah! Booyah! <laughs> and on Facebook, the daughter of dear friends of mine who has left the face posted an angry post. I know a lot of people from my former church who are celebrating Reformation Day, she put in caps and exclamation points, like, can you believe it? And she was very angry because she then went on to quote some of Luther's anti-Semitic views. And he was anti-Semitic. Um, he, he, he got so enraged about it later in life, even some of his, his pals were saying, chill out, tone it down, and he couldn't. We owe a lot to him. I don't have time to go into it, but countries that have been, um, have had Protestant missionaries, not, not of the sort that are state-sponsored Protestant missionaries, but people are trying to convert people, have free democracies develop in, up in them in ways that other countries don't. I, I, I don't have time to support that. If you want some support, I'll give it to you. But you, you, you wouldn't be literate, perhaps, if it weren't for the Protestant Reformation. You wouldn't be living in a liberal democracy, perhaps, if it weren't for Protestant Reformation. We owe this guy a lot, but we can also say he had real flaws. Just like me. Just like you. Just like any churchman that you might be offended by some perspective of his, okay, 
Now thank God for the good that came through him. The Protestant Reformation gives me the ability to critique Martin Luther. I am grateful to Martin Luther, and now I'm shifting ground. We're getting to what happened uh, that made it good that I didn't speak on November 20th. You might know when he posted his 95 theses to the Castle Church Dort Wittenberg, which might be a, rumor, a myth, but it's still a good story. Um, he was posting um, theses for argumentation about the use of indulgences in the Catholic Church. Do you have to, are you going to go straight to purgatory when you die? Um, how do you get out of purgatory? Do you have to buy indulgences or get them some other way? One of our legacies as Protestants is that we don't believe in that anymore. We don't have to be terrified about death, wondering, is it going to be awful? Is it going to be blessed? Um, at 11.05, November 20th, I was on an air, uh, airplane flying to Pennsylvania because my mother had died that Saturday. Uh, we buried her the day before Thanksgiving which was apt because we were thankful she had died because she had suffered so much. If I hadn't benefited from what he helped us to learn, I would just be mourning merely. Mourning while she lived because she was so imp impaired for years. But not seeing any real comfort anywhere in the future. When she left her body, she entered joy. Um, if you came to see our play Consumption in September, which is about four 19th century young people dying of a protracted death, you might have read my, my uh, director's notes. I'll read you just a part of them. My mother is dying slowly. During these weeks we've rehearsed consumption, she had a stroke, one of at least three since 1998. To watch a potent, loving woman, one who pushed me to pursue things my native inertia could have kept me from achieving. Lose her functions, one by one, has been like losing her to a decades-long protracted death. Today she can barely talk. She thus grows in social isolation. She is incontinent. She's afraid to walk. She's lost pleasure in what used to fill her days, art, reading, caring for others. Now she sleeps. She eats. She bathes. She sleeps some more. Within these weeks of rehearsing consumption, my mother left her assisted living home for a skilled nursing home. Folk I've known moved to that facility never survived for long. Will that be true of her? Or will the longevity of her people's DNA keep her lingering, only to lose more vigor? In these years, we've prayed for and with her, even in her growing debility, that God would grant her a sense of purpose. We've also prayed that God would take her home. Sometimes we've remembered to pray, not our will, but yours be done. Should God allow her to linger, even in increased suffering? 
he will have a blessed reason. When he chooses to take her, it will be at the perfect time. One day we will look backward and see all he achieved in her and in us during a season of painful discipline. Now remains the hard work. Wait and hope and pray. That image of looking backwards, uh, I had a seminary professor who said providence is like a Hebrew word, you can only read it backwards. You, know, you can read Hebrew this way, not this way. But you look back and you find out you're, you're a character in a story someone else is writing and even the awful bits will turn out for good in the end. We buried my mother in a Lutheran church and so of course we sang among other things, a mighty fortress is our God. And I want to close with just the last two stanzas. And though this world with devils filled, should threaten to undo us, we will not fear. For God hath willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness, grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fell him. That word, above all earthly powers, no thanks to them, abideth. The spirit and the gifts are ours through him who with us sideth. Let goods and kindred go, this mortal life also. The body they may kill, God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. Please pray with me. Father in heaven, thank you that you are our Father. Thank you that you are the author of history. Thank you that though history is full of sinners and even our heroes who we find out one day did something awful, one thing or another, you still bless us with them. Thank you that we know even though all of us are sinners and the best works we do will be tainted with sin, that because of Christ's perfect sacrifice, because of your sovereign power in ordering history, because of your irrevocable call, we have great hope even when we go through excruciating pain of sickness or betrayal or injustice or whatever things happen to us by the power of the Prince of Darkness. Thank you for the heritage of the Reformation and most of all, that your kingdom is forever. Amen.